Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Martin Brown, and I always write the horror mysteries. That was hopeless. So we're trying that again. <clears throat> Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Martin Brown, and I always write the horror mysteries. Thank you. Thank you. That's 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 much better. Uh, now I've lost my place. Uh, where was I? My name is Martin Brown, and I illustrate the horrible... Ah, oh, yes, and I illustrate the horrible histories. And the thing is with history, quite often, it's quite horrible. Um, take World War I, for example. I'm sure a lot of you have studied World War I, especially last year with the anniversary of the armistice. You know how horrible the First World War was. The bombs, the bullets, the machine guns that could fire 600 bullets a minute at you. The poison gas, the mud, the barbed wire, the stink of the trenches. So you can imagine just how horrible being in the trenches in the First World War must have been. But imagine all that, the bombs, the bullets, the barbed wire, and lice as well. And I'm not talking happy little head lice. We all get them from time to time. I'm talking about body lice. They're a different species. They live in your clothes and they come out at night time and they suck your blood and they spread disease. They're horrid little things. And the thing is you get body lice when you can't change your clothes or you can't wash. And when you go down to the trenches, you can't pop off to the shower. See you, Sarge, I'm just going to go and have a bath. You have to stay in your uniform in the trenches, sometimes for days or weeks at a time. So you got grubby and your clothes got dirty. And if the guy beside you had lice, then you caught them from him, you couldn't avoid them. On average, the most British soldiers in the trenches had roughly 20 lice on them. So if that's the average, what do you suppose the record was? Because one day, a group of mates sat around in a little circle and they counted every single louse they found on one of their friends. So how many do you think they found? If the average was 20, any ideas? Yes, sir. 70? 70, yeah, more than double, yeah? Um, 250, that's a lot. I don't know, there's about 150 people here, so you can imagine 250. Any advance on 250? Yes, sir, Miss... 350? Would does anyone think you could have a thousand? Is that even possible? Yeah. Okay. Can I borrow you for a moment, please? Yeah. That's it. You. Can I? Yeah. Out you come. Is it Jack? Okay. Come. Come. That's it. Right, Jack. So, um, a thousand. Has anyone got the foggiest idea what a thousand actually looks like? Do you? Well, okay. Well, it so happens. I have made a thousand lice. There we are. Could you hold this for me? You can be my World War I soldier. That's what a thousand... Well, actually, if you're going to be a World War I soldier, I suppose you should um, look like one. <coughs> there we go. Right. If you could face everyone. Does that look World War I-ish? Yeah? Well, this, this is a World War I helmet. It's called a Brody helmet. But here's the thing. World War I went from, as you know from 1914 to 1918. 
The Brodie helmet, the first helmet that the British Army ever used, was only brought out, was only given to every soldier in the summer of 1916. Which means for the first two years of the war, those extraordinary young men faced the bombs and the bullets and the machine guns, not wearing this, but wearing something like that. <laughs> if you're walking to, oh, sorry. If you're walking towards a machine gun, would you rather wear this or this? That. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Gosh. Um, so, uh, here's Jack the soldier with a thousand lives. Does anyone think you could have more than a thousand lives? Really? Okay, out you come. No, need, need you. That's 2,000 lives. Does anyone think you could have more than... Okay, out you come. Out you come. There's 3,000 lives. Does anyone think... Hey, I'm not saying this is how much he had. The average was 20. Um, but I just... I'm, I'm, I want to see how weird you people are. Um, okay, more? Okay, I, yes, out you come. Right, that's 4,000. We come down here. That's four, any advance on 4,000? Uh, yes, sir, on the edge, come down. That's down the end there. That's what it was. One, two, three, 5,000 lives. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, who have we, have we had from somewhere? From, you missed from right at the back. Yes. Well, yes. I'll put that up there, I think. Uh, what do we got? That's 6,000 lives in advance of 6,000. Now you. Yes. Out you come. Right, that's 7,000. Oh, crikey. You have to budge up a bit. That's 7,000. Oh, steady on. <laughs> the, the, average, the average was 20. Um, 7,000 lives. Really? Surely there's a weight issue. I mean... I don't know how much 7,000 ways. Uh, really? More? Okay, that's come. 8,000 lives. We haven't got enough stage. Uh, you, sir, blue person. Come now, that's not. Uh, 9,000. If you just sort of. I don't know. Um, you want to stand on the carpet or something. Um, oh, budge up. Yeah, you might squeeze in. Okay. Seriously? 10,000? Okay, uh, you, sir, could you, yes. Right, oh, actually, you're nice and tall. You could probably just stand on the edge there. Right, <laughs> hands down, hands down. That's, ladies and gentlemen, that is 10,000. If anyone says 10,000 people or 10,000 pounds, that's what 10,000 looks like. Okay, uh, now, now let's be serious for a moment. Who actually seriously thinks that one person could have 10,000 lives on them? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, should we find out what, um, what this poor unfortunate soul actually had? Should we do that? Okay. When counted, it was discovered, in fact, that... 
this poor soldier here had, excuse me, excuse me, 10,428 lice uh, 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 in his shirt. They did not count the lice they found in his trousers, or his jacket, or his socks, or his underwear. 10,428 lice in one shirt. Ladies and gentlemen, I am sure you will all agree with me that that is indeed some very horrible history. A big round of applause for our lice holders here. Thank you very much, everyone. Grab a seat. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it will. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. 10,428 lice. Truly very, very horrible. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's horrible histories for you. It's, it's full of kind of all sorts of horrible stuff, horrible stories, horrible facts. And all those facts and stories, of course, are written in, in words written by the, the wonderful Terry Deary. You all know who Terry Deary is. He's the author of those books, and he investigates those facts, and he writes those stories. But right from the very first book, alongside the horrible stories and those disgusting facts, there's always been things like, well, things like this, really. Um, that is an accurate picture of the last thing King Harold of Wessex saw with his one remaining eye before he was hacked to death by Norman Knights at the Battle of Hastings in 1066. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and this is what I want to talk about for the rest of today, or the rest of this hour. Um, how a horrible history drawing is, how I draw. Well, actually, not even how I draw. How we all draw. Um, in fact, I think I can probably make you a promise that by the end of this talk, you will either be better at drawing or you'll feel better about being rubbish at drawing. One of the two. Uh, so how does, uh, well, how does anyone draw? How do, how do we, how do we draw? Um, well, look, before we even start um, how anyone draws, I want to ask you a question, and I would like you to be as honest as you could, okay? Who says they can't draw? Wow. 
That's a lot of you. Is that a, a physical? Because look, you guys, you're in the upper part of primary school, okay? You, I know you guys can read and write, yeah? You can read and, everyone can read and write? So you can write your name, your address, geography, homework, history essay, you can do that, yeah? So you can use a pencil and paper, but when it comes to drawing, <coughs> is that what you mean? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay, so assuming you can actually put pencil to paper, when you say you can't draw, does that mean you don't like what you draw? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so, would, okay, if, if you were doing a drawing or a friend was doing a drawing of a horse, say, and that picture looked exactly like a horse, would you say that's a good drawing? Yeah, I, I think most of us would, that's fair enough. Because something that's drawn realistically we think is a good drawing, yeah? Yeah, except it hasn't always been that way. What's that? You can all call it out. Mount Rani. It's a Stone Age picture, isn't it? It's a, it's a cave drawing. Now, do people actually look like that? <laughs> look at his teeny weeny feet and massive thighs. And he has no hands. I, I think he's holding onto his spears with blue tack. I don't know. Um, but for 10,000 years, this is how people drew. And yet, we, it's not that he could, they couldn't draw well. We have seen cave drawings where they've drawn animals so accurately, we know what age, gender, and species the animal is. So when they wanted to, they could draw very accurately. But for 10,000 years, this is fine. When you're drawing a person, this is fine. It's, they're much more interested in the action, the stories, the hunt. So drawing realistically just wasn't a big deal. What about uh, those guys? Egyptians, of course. You've all studied ancient Egypt. For 3,000 years, this is how people painted. Now, once again, we have found drawings where Egyptians have drawn much more what we would say realistically. But this was the the house style, if you like. This was the style of the Egyptian empire. Now, people don't actually look like that. You can't actually make your body... But for 3,000 years, this is fine. The Greeks. The Greeks could do realism amazingly. We have found their statues. Greek and Roman statues are extraordinarily realistic. But when it came to decorating their pots, they were much more interested in the decorative element. This guy has his chest on his back. They weren't, they were interested in the story, telling the story. And then in the Dark Ages, we had those wonderful sagas by the Vikings. And this is a Saxon picture. Look at those hands, look at those elbows. They're, they're, they're not what you would call realistic. I don't know whether this guy could draw realistically or not. That's not the point. The point was the story. Same with the Middle Ages. They were interested in decoration. This chap has no shoulders. Hey. But it didn't matter. It was just a bit of decoration at the edge of the page. It was there to look lovely, not be realistic. Then along comes the Renaissance and ruins everything. Because tastes were changing. 
There was the development of an interest in the sciences. People were looking at how animals, horses, people, dogs were put together. They were looking at anatomy, how shoulders worked, how muscles worked. Artists were studying the human form, and they were getting much more realistic in their depictions. So this woman has got shoulders. She's got much more realistic proportions. Not only that, the art materials were improving. So now painters had these wonderful paints and brushes and surfaces, and they could paint velvet, and they could paint lace. And of course, the sort of people who would employ an artist are very, very wealthy. They're like the uber-rich of today. And if you're wealthy enough to own velvet, you sure as heck want, if you're in a painting, you want the artist to be able to paint you in your velvet. That's like owning a Ferrari. So the artists who could paint realistically got more and more jobs. and it became a fashion. So all the artists were competing with each other. Who could be more and more realistic? And it became the fashion. And then all artists painted that way until finally you get something extraordinary like this. This painting of a, well, they still call them Dutch masterpieces, the Dutch masters. Every pearl, every piece of silver lace, every turn of the rough has been picked out with a paintbrush. It is remarkable. Because this is what we thought the pinnacle of art could be, to depict something like this. This extraordinarily wealthy woman wanted to be painted in her finery, and that's what she got. But actually, this whole realism thing, it's quite recent and quite short. Thank goodness for Picasso, <laughs> who paints far more like we have done for tens of thousands of years. We're stuck in this idea that to draw well, you have to draw realistically, but not necessarily. Both eyes on the same, of the head, same side of the head. But it didn't matter. It's like the guy running with spears. It's not realistic, but it's still a wonderful picture. It's not even new. This is like 100 years old. So uh, thank goodness, really, uh, because I don't draw realistically either. I'm a, I'm a cartoonist. When I said this was an accurate picture of a Norman Knight, it's not really, is it? It's not an accurate picture of a Norman Knight. It is a picture of a Norman Knight, but it's not an accurate picture of a Norman Knight, because I don't do that. Now, I'm not alone either. You see, some of the finest illustrators in the world don't draw, don't draw realistically. What is the big brown thing? A horse. Is it a realistic picture of a horse? Some yes, some no. What about the thing on its back? What's that? A rat. Is that a realistic picture of a rat? No. No. What would you do if you were approached by a rat this big, wearing a mask and carrying a sword? This is by Axel Scheffler. The Axel Scheffler. You know who he is. He's the guy who invented the Gruffalo. He's one of the most successful illustrators on the planet, and he doesn't draw realistically. His artwork is wonderful. You couldn't tell me that's not a good picture, but it's not realistic. I'm fairly sure squirrels don't push wheelbarrows. <laughs> What's the big yellow thing? A lion. And this is one of my favorite pictures ever. I've got a poster of this at home. It's so clever and yet really simple. It's just some yellow, 
And it's all the same yellow, pretty much, apart from a little bit of shadow under the, um, under the arm and on, on the one side of the face. Some blue to throw everything out. And the brown, it's the same brown for the tail, little girl's hair, and the mane. And the mane is just a big egg shape. Not very accurate. It's just a sort of a roundy egg shape. And the line is a scribble. Look, it's a scribble. A little mouth, a little tiny little mouth, which is not like a realistic line. And that little smile matches the little girl's little smile. And a splash of red to draw the eye. It's genius. It's so simple. And it, it's, <laughs> it just makes me smile to look at it. It's not remotely realistic, and yet it's one of the loveliest pictures I've ever seen. What on earth are they? <laughs> See, you don't even know. Elephants. Who thinks they're elephants? Really? Now, you laughed at Picasso, and this has both eyes on the same side of the head. I'm fairly sure elephants don't have both eyes on the same side of their head or their mouths on their chests. <laughs> Who thinks, still thinks they're elephants? <clears throat> Are they realistic pictures of elephants? Are they lovely pictures of elephants? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely they are. This is by Nick Sharrett. Nick Sharrett is huge. Well, I don't mean he's huge. He's a you know, normal-sized person. <coughs> but he, he's the guy behind all the drawings for the Tracy Beaker books. He's pro... I don't know. He must be one of the most successful illustrators in this country, if not the world. All those wonderful... Um, books for young people, those board books he did. You probably grew up with them when you were so small you didn't even know what you were looking at. Absolutely brilliant. And not remotely realistic. See, that's what you can do if you don't draw realistically. You can do things like this. Elephants with eyes on the both sides of their head. Um, now, okay, now this is a bit of a sidestep. This is my book. I'm, I'm known, obviously, for the horrible histories, but this is uh, my recent book, or books, about animals. Now, they're, it's a non-fiction book about real, actual animals. And still the pictures aren't realistic. They're a bit more realistic than Nick Sherratt's elephants. But look, they're, they're cartoons still. I'm fairly sure black-footed ferrets don't wave at people. And I'm fairly sure that big bully things like that don't say hi. So it's a realistic book, but not very realistic, because you can do more if you don't draw realistically. But since we've got to this um, animal book, I suppose I will just, I'll just sideline a little bit into animals, and then I'll come back around the drawing. Is that OK? Um, who likes animals? Hey, great. OK, so you know what this is. What's that? Yay! Tiger. Not all the adults said anything. For you adults, it's a tiger. Okay, everyone, what's this? Panda. Very good, very good. Excellent. No, it's not a ferret or a squirrel. It's a numbat. Now. You switch on the television and it's meerkats. Meerkats, meerkats, meerkats. You go to the zoo, meerkats, 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 meerkats. meerkats. <laughs> This is cuter than a meerkat. 
It's a, it stands up. It's got a sweet little nose. It's got stripes. What it has got, as you can't see there, is a long bushy tail like a squirrel. It's a marsupial. So it actually got a little pouch to carry its young around. It's more closely related to a kangaroo than anything else like a meerkat. It's gorgeous. Thing is, there's only a thousand of them left in the wild. The two tiny little places in Western Australia where they live. And where they live is, you know, it's got some nice trees in it, so the, a lot of the forest has been cut down. Now, there are 3,000 pandas in the wild. That's still not a lot, but they've recently been taken off the critically endangered. Now they're just endangered. Uh, but think of the effort gone in to save the panda. And they're on the news all the time. You switch on the news, panda, 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 baby. <laughs> it's always pandas. But there's three times as many pandas as there are numbats. No one's ever heard of a numbat. What's that? No, it's not a whale. No, it's not a whale. Killer whale. No. Dolphin. It is a dolphin. Okay. It's not a killer dolphin. It is a sort of a dolphin. It's got a dolphin with a very unfortunate name. It's called... Yeah, Southern Right Whale Dolphin. It's... What a terrible name. It's named after the Southern Right Whale, which it looks nothing like. Um, but look, here's a dolphin. If you look more carefully, it hasn't got a dorsal fin. It's just super sleek. Now, when I saw this, I kind of thought, wow, what an extraordinary looking thing. Has anyone ever seen one of those before? No. How come something so amazing looking is not in, on every page and every book in the land? It's not rare. They swim around the South Pole in pods of up to 1,000. There's a lot of them. And somehow we've missed out. When I first saw this, I felt like saying, why wasn't I told? You know, it's just gorgeous. There's a northern right whale dolphin as well, which is nearly entirely black, which is gorgeous for a different reason. But there, what about that? Now, he was on the front cover. Not an ox? Buffalo, no buffalo. A what? Wildebeest, no. Yak, no. Bison, no. I'll tell you. No, it's not a yak. It is a bull, but that's like its gender. It is, ladies and gentlemen, a gower. Who has heard of a gower? A few people have got my book, maybe. Um, I can see what's going to happen here. The more people get my book, the worse this is going to work. Um, so, so few people have heard of a gower. Now, you've heard of bisons and buffaloes and yaks and, you know, ox. The gower is the biggest cowy, cattily thing on the planet. It's bigger than a bison. It's bulkier than a buffalo. It can be three meters long and two meters tall. It can weigh a thousand kilograms. Now, a thousand kilograms is pretty hard to imagine. Hands up here who is 10, 10 years old. Right. Probably about the right number here. One bull gower will weigh as much as 30 average 10-year-olds. It is an enormous creature. Its moo can be heard a mile away. Should we try mooing? Okay, one, two, three. 
No, I said it's moo can be heard a mile away. One, two, three. Yeah. Not even close. I'm surprised they heard you across the road. Um, a mile away. You can imagine what that must be like when you're standing next to the thing. How come something as mighty and huge and majestic and loud as the Gower is not more well-known? Well, I think it's probably because children's books, not just children's books, but non-fiction generally, natural history non-fiction, is full of buffaloes and bisons and tigers and pandas and zebras and lions and polar bears. And... Now, it's important to know about those things but not only those things. So that's what these animals, uh, these animal books are for. We say the brilliant beasts you never knew you needed to know about. Because there's so much out there. If I asked you to think of every single mammal you could, you'd probably get to 30 or 40 or maybe 50 if you were paying attention to David Attenborough. There's maybe 5,000, 5,500 different sorts of mammals out there. All of them have got stories to tell. So, it's, it is important. We don't want to ignore the lions and tigers. If I said the koala was going extinct, very well-known animal, would that be a pity? Yeah. Imagine a world with no koalas in it. Just no koalas. They're all dead. They're all gone. Would that be a bad thing? Yeah. Well, I, I think so too. Now, the thing is about koalas is they used to be lots and lots and lots of them. But they still are. But their numbers are going down. There's maybe 300,000 in the world. But instead of living up and down the east coast of, the, uh, of Australia, which used to be all bushland and forest, now where they live, uh, they're being isolated into little pockets. So if one population gets sick, they can't move away. So they tend to all get sick. And that can be really dangerous. So the numbers are going down. And you can imagine the efforts to save the koala. There'll be petitions and fundraising. Would you raise money to save the koala? Yeah. Would you sign a petition? Yeah. Okay, yeah, me, yeah, me too. What about the illy piker? Would you sign the petition to save the illy piker? Yeah. Has anyone ever heard of an illy piker? No. no. Well, how do you know whether it's worth saving? I mean, I mean, as it turns out, where the illy piker lives is in mountainous regions of western China. And it lives right at the top of mountains in the snow caps of mountains. The trouble is with global warming, those snow caps are shrinking. They're going up and up and up until finally you run out of mountain. They think, in fact, that one entire mountain range where the Illy Piker used to live now, lo now no longer has any Illy Pikers on it. Now, would it be a pity if they disappeared? Well, I think so, because this is cute and grey and fluffy. And so is the Illy Piker. Now who would raise money to save the Illy Piker? Yes! Of course! It's cute and grown fluffy. So, of course it's important to learn about lions and tigers and panda bears and polar bears, but not just them. There's so much more out there. Things like the black-footed ferret, who is on the, on the front cover. Now, a few years ago, everyone thought the black-footed ferret was, in fact, extinct. There were none left. By 1970, they were gone. Then one day, in 1981, a farm dog called Shep 
came home to the farm where he lived outside a little town called Mitsitsi in Wyoming with an animal in its mouth. It was a dead animal. But the farmer looked at it and went, that's weird. I'm not going to do the accent. But I, I, I know, I'll have it stuffed. So he took it into town and he took it to the taxidermist. You know, they're the guys who stuff animals for hunters and things. Put them, put them up on the wall. And luckily for, the, uh, for us, the taxidermist went, wait a second, that looks exactly like a black-footed ferret. But it can't be a black-footed ferret because they're extinct, surely. So he took a photograph of it and sent it away to some scientists. And the scientists went, oh my god, it's a black-footed ferret. <laughs> and they came and they went and they searched and they found a colony of black-footed ferrets. Um, which is remarkable. After all those years of being extinct, here was a living colony of, well, 200, just 200 black-footed ferrets. Wow, the newspapers came. It wasn't so unknown anymore. <clears throat> but then, actually, as soon as they discovered this colony, they realized something was wrong. They were getting sick, just like those little parcels where the koalas live. If one animal gets sick, they can't move away. And one by one, the animals were dying. So they took 18 black-footed ferrets, healthy black-footed ferrets, away to safety, like a sort of a vet hotel, separated them from the others who were getting sick. And sure enough, the rest of the colony outside Mitsitsi was wiped out. There were just 18 black-footed ferrets left in the world, seven females. And with a lot of care and a lot of attention, and a lot of love, those, those animals, well, they helped them survive, and they bred from them. And then there were 20, then there was 50, then 100 black-footed ferrets, then 500, 1,000 over many years. And then they started to release black-footed ferret families back out into the wild where they came from. Now out there, there's probably, well, the numbers are struggling because of the things they live on are called uh, prairie dogs. And there's not many of them around either. Uh, so there's somewhere between 500 and 1,000 black-footed ferrets left out in the wild. So it was that close. We were that close to losing this little fella forever. In fact, they thought they had. And it became quite famous. But in a way, it proves that if you didn't know it existed, then how are you going to help it? Same with this chap. Oh, no, well, <laughs> what I was going to say, not everything in this book is about animals that are endangered. There's other things that are like... Uh, black-crested uh, macaque or the Celebes-crested macaque. Its numbers are plummeting. Have a look online for the Celebes-crested macaque. Ask your teachers or your parents to help. Because one day, a photographer set up a camera trap, which is a camera placed out in the jungle with a little foot pad. So if you accidentally step on it, it'll take your picture. Well, the macaques found it and started playing with it while looking at the camera. So there's these wonderful pictures of macaque selfies. You've got to check it out. But yeah, with, with, with folks or a, or a parent. But the book has also got things that we need to know about because they just look <laughs> wonderful in a minute. Look at that face. Look at those ears. Isn't this the most gorgeous thing you've ever seen? This is a red river hog. It's not, uh, it's not uh, endangered at all. It lives in Africa. 
It's red. It lives near rivers. And it's a pig. It's gorgeous. And who cares if it sticks its nose in elephant poo looking for undigested nuts to eat? I mean, if you're a pig, that's no problem. What a gorgeous thing. And it's not even about rare things or beautiful things. Some animals are worth knowing about because, well, they might even be sort of dull and boring, but maybe they've still got interesting stories to tell. Uh, perhaps what I should do, I'll read something from the book so that you have an idea of what I'm on about. Here we are. This is called, you can't probably read the writing, but this is called the dagger-toothed flower bat. Let's face it, apart from the fact that this is one of those animals that no one's ever heard of, the main reason that this bat is in this book is because of its name. The dagger-toothed flower bat. What a great combination of words. Flowers and teeth and bats and daggers. It conjures up an image which would make a fine tattoo for some biker gang tough guy or a blazer badge for a vampire school. Trouble is, dagger-toothed flower bats are fairly gentle creatures, not at all violent or bloody. They're just plain little brown things. And rather than having a taste for danger, they have a taste for the sweeter things. They flap and flit from flower to flower in the warm tropical evening, sipping at the honey-like nectar they find in each beautiful blossom. Hardly the stuff of muscled heavies or nibbled necks at midnight. In fact, all that flower visiting is truly beneficial. As they move about the trees, they spread the pollen that sticks to their faces. Without this pollination, some fruit trees would be fruitless. So here's to the dagger-toothed flower bat, peaceful pollinator and banana hero. And uh, you probably can't see it, but I've, I've drawn him as a banana Superhero. Hang on, I'll, I'll... There we go. That's a uh, banana man. Banana bat. Banana, banana bat man. Banana man bat. Banana man bat. Banana man bat man banana. Anyway. <coughs> banana. So this is, that's, that's what the book is about. The book is about... Just all sorts of wonderful creatures that I think we should know about. Um, and of course, I could have used photographs, like the pictures of the pika or the pictures of the koala or the zebra or any of those animals. A lot of natural history books, of course, are full of photographs, which, are, which is fine. But I wanted to draw the animals doing different sorts of things, like <laughs> wearing a super his, su superhero uh, costume. Bats don't usually do that. But to get back to drawing, if you don't draw realistically, they can. If you don't draw realistically, elephants can wear welly boots, rats can carry swords, bats can wear costumes. That's what drawing can be. If you don't draw realistically, giraffes can dance. Remember this one? Now, a lot of you guys are too old for picture books. I swear to God, go back and have a look at some of your old books. The artwork in there is amazing, and you might learn something from it. This is not a realistic picture, but it's a wonderful one. If you don't draw realistically, ducks can be farmers. Remember <laughs> this one. And if you don't draw realistically, wonderfully, 
magically, tigers can come to tea. Tigers can only come to tea if you don't draw realistically. Realistically, it will come into your house and eat you. But with this kind of drawing and this kind of story, anything is possible. This is what drawing can be. If you want to, you can learn how to draw a horse. Or you can learn how to draw a bowl of fruit that looks like a bowl of fruit. Now, I'm not just saying that. You have all, you said before, you have all learned how to read and write. Uh-huh. Um, that's hard. That's the hard stuff. And you did that when you were tiny. Who learns a musical instrument? Everybody, just about. Now, were you born able to play the violin or the guitar or the flute? Yes, no. no. You had to learn the technique. Nothing comes out of a violin very pleasant unless you know what to do with your fingers. Nothing very pleasant will come out of a trumpet unless you know what to do with the buttons. Same with anything else. Sport, all you sportsmen out there, there is technique. There's so much rugby going on. There's technique to a placement, place kick. There's technique to tackling. There's technique to bowling and cricket. All sorts of things. There's technique to music, sport, cooking, maths, languages. But for some reason, we think that we are born with some sort of artistic talent. That's rubbish. I was not born with some kind of special drawing arm. Ooh, look at that Martin Brown. He's got one of them drawing arms. Or I wasn't sprinkled with magic pixie drawing dust. That's not how it works. When I was little, I just loved drawing, and so I loved drawing. I did it a lot. Same, if you love playing football, you're going to play football. Of course you are. And if you do it a lot, if you play the guitar every night, if you play football every night, if you draw every night, you're going to get better at it. That's just how it works. And that's what happened to me. If you want to learn how to draw realistically, you can learn how. There are techniques. In fact, I could, I'll, look, I'll show you one. Just to prove that this isn't sort of magic, it's something I learned. I learned it from a book because there are those wonderful books. If you've got birthdays coming up, there's Christmas not far away, you can get this stuff and you can learn how. You're probably familiar with building a face out of the proportions of dividing something in halves. So your eyes are sort of halfway along your head, halfway down your head. Your nose is sort of from halfway to a quarter. Your mouth is just above a quarter, uh, halfway between your nose and your chin. Okay? Your ears are usually in a line from the, your eyes to the bottom of your nose. Eyebrows on top of your eyes, usually. And hair on top. Now, I mentioned rugby before, yeah? Everyone's familiar with a rugby ball. Here's a rugby ball with a seam, you know, the seam that runs down the quarters, a seam there, seam there, seam there. Okay, here's another rugby ball. Just imagine we gave it a bit of a twist. Okay, the proportions are still in the same place. Now, that center line is now facing slightly to the side. The nose is still on the center line, but the center line has moved. The eye is still halfway down beside the nose. The other eye is just beginning to go around the corner. Eyebrows still on top, mouth still there. The ear is still on the side line, but the side line has come around the corner. Ta-da! Hair still on top. 
Right, let's give that rugby ball one more twist. Right, now this front line here, the line that was facing you, is completely at the side. This side line here is now facing you. The proportions are the same. The nose is still at the front, but the front has moved around to the side. The eyes beside the nose, the other eyes around the corner, she can't see it, don't worry about it. Eyebrows on top, mouth there. The ear is now on the sideline, but the sideline is facing you. And hair still on top. And that, in about five seconds, is a little bit of drawing technique, how to turn a face. Now, you can do that. There's nothing magical about that. This is the sort of technique you can learn. You can learn how to draw. There is not one person in this room that can't learn the technique. So with the time we have left, I'm going to do some drawing, and then we're all going to do some drawing. Now, we could do one of two things. We could do some more drawing technique, or we could just muck around and have some fun. Oh, well, well, let's be de uh, uh, democratic about it. Uh, let's have a vote. Just the once, probably. Uh, um, hands up for a drawing lesson. Okay, hands up for mucking around having some fun. Yay! Right. Uh, when do we finish? 20 fast plus. I'm, I hope so. <laughs> I hope there's a plus. Um, I'll be as quick as I can now because I know there's some signing to do and uh, schools evaporate at, the, uh, at 3 o'clock. Um, so, now, a lot of you earlier said that you couldn't draw. Luckily, this is the sort of drawing you can do even if you say you can't draw. Um, I know you can, but I'm going to draw some circles. Look at that. There's one. That's not much of a circle. Um, that's a terrible circle. That's a potato! Oh well, don't matter. Um, I'm going to draw some faces based on your suggestions. Okay? Just to show you what drawing can be. Now, um, I'll just move that on, I think. Right. Let's have a nose for this guy here. Any ideas? What sort of nose? Any old nose? Does... Yes, miss? Sorry? Donald Trump. <laughs> Did you mean Donald Trump or Donald Trump's nose? Anyway, Donald Trump. Um, oops, sorry. Uh, what about this one? What sort of nose could this have? Yes, sir. A grenade. A grenade. A grenade. Okay, and potato. A what? A bomb. Donald Trump, a grenade, and a bomb. You guys are looking at the news way too much. Right, a bomb. <laughs> Strange people. Uh, hair, we need some hair here. Hair, yes, please. A what? 
Spaghetti, spaghetti hair. With or without meatballs? With meatballs, of course. Spaghetti and meatballs, of course. Uh, what about this thing? Yes, sir. Stephen Curry. What? Stephen Curry. Who? He's got really short hair. Oh, is he? No hair. No hair. That's easy. Right. Well, very short. Very short. Right, okay. Um, and potato bomb head. Uh, yes, sir. Yes. Banana. Hair? What, one banana? Over or sticking up or? Uh, Banana. Okay, some ears, 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 ears. Yes, sir. Yes. What kind of ears? Really pointy long ears. Okay, pointy long ears. Uh, this thing. Uh, who have we? Yes, sir, right at the back. So, sorry? Soft. Short. Hang on. What was it again? Short. Short ears. Short. <laughs> they're like rabbit ears, but they're very short. I don't know. Uh, banana potato thing. Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, yes. What? Stinky sock ears. Stinky sock ears. Right. Um, eyes, 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 eyes. Yes, sir. I'll come back to you. Yes, miss. Sorry, hypnotized eyes. Right, hypnotized. Uh, and this thing. Yes, miss. Birds. Birds? Birds. One of each or lots? Lots of birds. Uh, yes, miss. Strawberries. Of course, strawberries. Why didn't I think of strawberries? Well, the rich cherry-ish. Um, strawberries. Uh, mouths. We need some mouths. 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 Yes, miss. Banana. Well, I've got a banana already, but okay. We can have another banana. I will do a banana that way. Right. 
uh, banana and thing. Yes, uh, miss, uh, bouncing person. Nice and loud. What? Panda? Oh, panda. I'm not quite sure about panda. Panda mouth? Um, and finally, whatever this is. Other bouncing person. Yes. Sorry? Cherries. Cherries. Right. I think we're running out of time. Let's have a quick look. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, this is drawing, okay? It might be silly or even stupid. Um, but don't for one minute say that let anyone say that this isn't drawing. I, well, I did the drawing, but it was based on your suggestions. And because it's based on your suggestions, your suggestions, I can safely say, you people are weird. <laughs> you could have done any combination of lovely flowing hair, healthy lips, straight nose, gorgeous eyes, but no. You did this. You bunch of sickos. Now, <laughs> this might look kind of crazy, but it has got a fancy grown-up name, actually, what you have done. This is called character design. You have just designed three characters. Sick and twisted as they are, you have designed three characters. Now, this isn't just mucking around. You can do this in Hollywood. Who has ever seen in their lives an animated movie? Everybody. A whole bunch of people at the back haven't seen. They're very good. You should try them. Um, now, think about this every movie you have ever seen, and every character in those movies you have ever seen. Tens of thousands of characters. Every, ca every, every game character in Wreck-It Ralph, every, uh, every horse and soldier and barroom bully in Tangled, every animal in Zootropolis, every toy in Toy Story, Toy Story. None of them sprang into life on a computer screen or some other screen or an animation suite. Every single character you have ever seen started life with a piece of paper and a pencil. Someone sat down and drew Wall-E for the first time. Someone drew that wonderful dog from Up for the first time. Every character you've ever seen, someone drew them, someone invented them from their imagination. Someone, what a job. That's what drawing can be. Now, those drawings were then taken away and animated from that raw material. They built these wonderful things you're so familiar with. But someone drew them. 
How cool would that be? Now, if you want to learn to draw a bowl of fruit that looks like a bowl of fruit or a horse that looks like a horse, you can. But you don't have to, to be a brilliant artist. And to finish off, I shall now prove it with everyone's help. Pencils and paper at the ready. You've got to draw a sort of a upside-down bean on its side. Okay? Draw it quite lightly. You draw it nice and big, too. And it doesn't have to be brilliant. Hang on, we're not finished yet. Once you've drawn your bean, at the end of the bean, draw a circle. Quite big. It overlaps. Sort of half and half. Then on that circle, draw a triangle like a cone, pointy cone, like that. Then at the top, you do a little ear, like that. Do another little thing like that. And then round about where the line crosses the circle, draw a little line. Like that. And then you draw some feet there and some feet there. If you want to, you can draw some other feet beside it. Okay. Actually, that eye is probably in the wrong place. It probably should go there, but it doesn't matter. Let's do two eyes. We know that works. Now, that's the main bit. Now, here's for the tricky bit. Are you paying attention? Because it's really hard. Okay, you ready? Everyone watching? And a bit there, and a bit there, and some more spikes. Okay. No, it's not a hedgehog. Is everyone fitting inside a porcupine? Is that, can that come back? Okay. Right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, really have uh, run out of time. Um, if we get this back, I'll tell you what you've drawn. But if not, I'll have to tell you. We're right, we're nearly there. We're nearly there. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to learn how to draw, you can. You can, you can learn how. Or you can just have fun doing it. What do you think? No, it's not a kiwi. It's a, it's a, not a porcupine. It's a, it's a, it's coming. It's around the corner. It's nearly there. It's a Cuban Selenodon. Now, a Cuban Selenodon is the only mammal with a poisonous bite. It has venomous dribble. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Um, we're running out of time. Please draw, even if it looks rubbish. Thank you very, very much.